All right, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat, but only once you've met someone. <laughs> Dude, what's up, man? All right, everyone, good morning. Welcome. Welcome to The Exchange. We're so glad you're here and you're joining us. Um, just want to say, if you're new, my name is Josiah. Uh, I'd love to meet you afterwards. We'd love to hang and just get to know you, so please stop by. I'll be in the back. We'd love to say what's up. Um, hey, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we started a few weeks ago, so we're in Mark chapter 1 still. Uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'd love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. We have some people passing out Bibles, but we'll be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And here's some good news. We are finishing chapter 1 today. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, whoa, Josiah, slow down. I mean, it's been like five weeks in chapter one. We're speeding through this. I know, I know. Uh, but I'm excited to go through these 10 verses. Um, I'm, the, the text is powerful. I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do, hopefully in our community and our lives individually. So uh, Mark chapter one's where we're at. Um, let me give you a couple updates, a couple quick things before we get going, just so we can be on the same page with a couple of things. Um, Last week, obviously, we, we kind of stopped our service in the middle of worship, and we, we paused, and we, we prayed for Stoneman Douglas, and, and we want to continue with that heart and that mindset. And I, I, t- I mentioned to you that we'll be giving you some updates. So um, here's what we know right now. We're going to partner with another ministry, hopefully in the next week or two. And um, this ministry has been collecting some backpacks. And not that they necessarily need backpacks, but the cool thing is they've been collecting backpacks. And they got, uh, I think, $3,005 Starbucks cards donated. They got some um, skydiving, like this indoor skydiving. They donated a free thing for each student. So there's a lot of like companies that have donated some stuff recently. And so we're basically going to take these backpacks and just fill them with this free stuff. Um, so I, I don't have all the details yet. We're still waiting for some things to come in. But hopefully by next week, I can make the announcement. And we're going to try to have a day where a few of us can go and just stuff some backpacks with kids from Stoneman Douglas who want to also help stuff the backpacks. So um, I might try to push that more through community groups. So in case you maybe don't hear too much, we're going to try to do that through community groups. And if they need more help, I'll also share that here as well. Um, but we're, we try to do our, our mission. We try to do our outreach primarily through our groups. But we're going to try to find ways to do that, obviously, as a whole. So um, that gives an idea for us. Like, we'd love for you to be part of community groups so you can be a part of this. And also, we also really want to just find a time where we can help them the, way, the right way, the way they want to be helped, need to be helped. And so um, just continue to be in prayer. That's all we're asking. Um, I also want to share something with you guys. I know that many of you saw this and heard this, and it's not something we can kind of, I think, just pass over and move on. It's something I think we need to slow down and honor. Uh, but this week, as you, many of you know, uh, Billy Graham passed away. And it's something more, I think, to celebrate than anything. It's not completely like a sad thing. This is an awesome thing. Um, Billy Graham died at the age of 99. He was born in 1918. Um, this has been a guy that I've been watching since I was a little kid. My, my parents would just always put him on. We'd watch him and listen to him. And I don't know if you're familiar with Billy Graham. Most of you are, but many of you aren't. Uh, maybe the younger generation is not as familiar with him. Uh, but God has used this man mightily. I believe he's spoken live to over 220 million people in his lifetime. Like live, like spoken at one point in time, he spoke to three million people in like Seoul, uh, South Korea. Um, God has just used this man mightily, and so thankful for his life. So thankful for his integrity. I mean, 60 plus years of serving Jesus and the, the life he lived is just—it's just encouraging. Uh, he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. And there's a crown uh, in heaven for him, I so believe, as Second Timothy 4 talks about. And so we just want to like, honestly slow down and honor this guy's life because um, I've been praying even this week as he passed away, God raised up another generation of men and women who just want to preach the gospel. Uh, it doesn't end with him by any means. And I know that that would be the, the desire for that legacy to continue. So uh, we have a video. Hopefully it plays and, and it's not distracting. So uh, it's a minute video. Check it out. My wife and I went to the uh, Billy Graham Library a few years ago. I don't know if you've been there or seen that, but it is one of the most inspirational and powerful things you can ever visit and see and just watching his life. And it's the, the, the cool thing about it is not Billy Graham. It is Jesus. I mean, that is the thing. He's, he constantly just wanted to be a billboard saying, don't look at me, look at Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the life he lived and the integrity, like I said, that he, he lived for so many years. And so uh, it's cool. It's just it's something we're celebrating and honoring. And uh, I just pray that God raises up so many more that we just have a church filled with Billy Grahams in here. <laughs> Men and women alike just filled going out and preaching the gospel. Amen? Hey, we're in Mark chapter 1. Um, let me just kind of catch you up to speed just so you kind of you know, know where we're at, what we're going through. As I said, this is our fifth week in the gospel of Mark. Um, Mark was discipled by Peter. This is the first gospel written of the four gospels. This is the first recorded gospel penned. And it's interesting because Peter calls Mark in 1 Peter a son in the faith. So that means Peter discipled Mark. 
Peter spent time with Mark. So this is kind of Peter's perspective, it's believed, through the Gospel of Mark, which I so enjoy. And you'll see him refer to himself as Simon at different times, and, and you kind of see some Peter-isms or some focus on Peter even so far, his mother-in-law. Um, but this is the Gospel of Mark, written by Mark, but most likely handed down, passed down from Peter, who spent first time with Jesus, or spent first-hand time with Jesus. And so uh, I'm enjoying this. I hope you guys are enjoying going through this book. Uh, last week, here's what we looked at. There was a demon-possessed guy in church, in the synagogue. Jesus cast him out. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. We saw that Jesus had authority over life, over death, over sickness, over demons, that Jesus has authority over every realm. That he has all the authority. And because of this, people are starting to get wind of Jesus, and the Messiah has come, and they're, they're hearing about this. So all the people, this little village called Capernaum, they all come to Jesus. And we're told, and we read this last week in verse you know, uh, 34, that he healed many who were sick and demon-possessed, and they brought many to him, and he healed them. And, and I love this because I'm, I want you to just not, like, let's not pass over this. There was a time where hundreds flocked to Jesus, and, and prayers, I mean, countless prayers for family members to be healed or people to be restored, it's happening. Like, they're seeing their prayers come true right in front of their eyes. And I can't imagine all the tears and celebrating, all the rejoicing that must have been taking place. Like, oh my gosh, we've been praying for this, and it's finally happening. And here's the Messiah. And look at, look at this guy, Jesus, and it was incredible. And what we read next is Jesus gets away. And Jesus is like, I need to get away, and I need to pray. And I'm so thankful for this text before us. And so what we're looking at specifically in the title today is private prayer, public power. We see that Jesus had private prayer, and that's how he had public power. And that we cannot neglect the private prayer or we will not have the public power. And it all begins and ends with prayer. And we're going to learn a lot from Jesus and how he did ministry. And how he avoided burnout. And how he met people's needs. And even how he walked away from people's needs. So he could get filled. So let's read. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to read and then we'll pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there Jesus prayed. And Simon, which is Peter, and those who were with him searched for Jesus. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Verse 40, now a leper came to Jesus, begging, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he, Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see, he says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your, your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to Jesus from every direction. We'll unpack this in just a second, but let's just first pray and uh, offer this time to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can study your word. We thank you that we can even slow down to look at Jesus and the way he did ministry and how he had power. And God, I just ask that we would be people of prayer. That God, we would not get so busy that we just forsake the most important thing. And so, Lord, we just thank you. We look to you. God, I ask that there would not just be um, just words communicated here, but that we would demonstrate the power of your spirit. That, Lord, as, as we end service, as we go into our daily lives, that, God, we demonstrate the power of your spirit. That, God, our prayer would be just so strong privately that, God, people couldn't deny the power that's within this community. It's the power of you, Jesus. It's the power of your spirit. And so we thank you. We look to you in just your wonderful name. Amen. Um, a couple of years ago, I was given a book that was really life-changing on how I viewed ministry and, and how we're doing this, I hope, and I believe today. It's a book called Emotionally Healthy Church. And I don't know if you've heard of this book, but it's Emotionally Healthy Church. And it's written by a pastor who just, just went through burnout. And he was so busy focusing on everyone else's needs, he neglected himself, his family, and he began, he began to see his ministry kind of unravel. And he had to go, really kind of go on sabbatical, seek a period of time where he could get healthy again. 
And he kind of shares his journey, but the primary idea of emotionally healthy church is that churches are only going to be emotionally and spiritually healthy if the leadership is emotionally and spiritually healthy. That it really begins with us. It begins with those who serve. It begins with leadership. It begins with, with those who just are trying to lead, saying, we want to be emotionally healthy so our community can be emotionally healthy. And here's kind of what happens in ministry. Sometimes we get so focused and so busy on other people's needs and what they're going through and this person's calling and, and they need this and they need that and there's so many things going on that we neglect our own needs. And sometimes we're so worried about other people's salvations and other people's soul care that we don't take care of our own soul. And it's sad how you begin to see, that's why we see burnout, that's why we see pastors fail, that's why we see things fall. God, gave, God, I really do believe, gave me, gave us this book at a time in ministry where we really needed it. You guys know we've been, we were sent out from a church. You know, I think God has done some incredible things and is doing incredible things for the church that sent us out. But we went through a really difficult season. You know, it's nothing for us to like get into the details of, but we, on staff, as the high school pastor, our pastor we were close with, he, he fell into sin. And during that time and before that time, God was really just kind of rewiring my, how to rewire my understanding of leadership and what church leadership looks like. And I believe God still is. And is realizing that how, how, does, how do we love and serve? And, and how do we actually do this thing called church? And what is it really about? And how do we actually have a healthy community? And how do we value the right things? And God had to do a lot, I really do believe, about kind of making sure we were emotionally and spiritually healthy. That we're not just carried about, so much concerned about others' needs that we, we forsake our own needs. And I'm going to encourage you guys, uh, if you can, to pick this up, because I would love for us to be an emotionally and spiritually healthy church. And sometimes we can be so focused on others that we do neglect our own emotional and spiritual health. And it's interesting. In the book, there's this little packet. Uh, it's this four-page thing. It's, you can read this online. We, we actually have printed out like 50 to 60 of these. They're in the back, so if you want this packet, you can take it. But it's, this, it's basically a test, like an emotional test. And you have to be honest with yourself. And you have to answer the questions that ask you. And then you kind of add it up and you see where are you at emotionally? Are you an emotional baby? Are you an emotional child? Are you an emotional adolescent? Are you an emotional adult? It kind of goes through and it's hard when you read this and take this and go, oh wow, I'm an emotional adolescent. Um, I have a lot to go through, right? And, and we've all been there. And we've all read these things or we've gone through, but it was so eye-opening because a lot of us don't realize, man, there's a lot of unresentment in my life. I, I have not surrendered over to God yet. There's a lot of bitterness in my life. I have not surrendered over to God yet. There's just a lot of unforgiveness, my, whatever. There's so many blind spots in our life and it affects how we treat people, love people, serve people, how we view the church, how we do church. It affects so many areas of our life because we're so focused on others and their, their issues and this church's problem that we forget to, to just take a step and say, God, you search me. You try me. Know my thoughts. Search my heart. And that's what that really allows us to do. So I'm going to read to you a little excerpt from this book. And let me just, you don't have to answer out loud because it might be embarrassing, but see if this describes you. Here's the definition or description. It says, when life is going my way, I am content. However, as soon as disappointment or stress enters the picture, I quickly unravel inside. I often take things personally, interpreting disagreements or criticisms as a personal offense. When I don't get my way, I often complain, throw an emotional tantrum, withdraw, manipulate, drag my feet, become sarcastic, or take revenge. I often end up living off the spirituality of other people because I'm so over overloaded and distracted. My prayer life is primarily talking to God, telling him what to do and how to fix my problems. Prayer is a duty, not a delight. Does that describe you? Don't answer. Right? But we've all been there. This is, at some point, this has all described us. Where we've really, we've lived off other people's spiritual, spirituality. Or we've manipulated. When we don't get our way, we're not content anymore. And this is an emotional child, is how he describes it, right? And it's interesting, again, when you, when you read this, just, God just exposes so much. And this is not something I want to do one time. Like, this is a book I need to read probably like every three to five years. This is something we need to constantly look at and say, God, are we emotionally and spiritually healthy? Like, are we content just with you for the sake of you? Is our prayer life celebrating, rejoicing, or what can we get from you? Like, it, it really does matter how we live and, and how we do church and how we view all of this. And here's what we see here. Here in Mark 1, we, we have a pattern from Jesus, a really healthy pattern on how to do ministry, a healthy pattern of prayer. And so I want to learn from Jesus and how he did it. I want to look at his life. So here's a few thoughts that we can just see from the text, simply if you want to take note. But we see the pattern of prayer in Jesus' life, the pattern of prayer. We're going to see that preaching is priority. Preaching is priority. And we're also going to see power is proclaimed or power is made known through that private life. All right, so let's look at the first thing, the, pa uh, the pattern of prayer. All right, the pattern of prayer. Look at verse 35. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went outside and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon 
and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. All right, let's just remember the context here. This is a very popular time in Jesus' ministry. He's, he's just beginning, but everyone's like, Yo, let's go see the Jesus guy. He's healing people, casting out demons. Look at all that he's doing. And Jesus, at this point in time, says, let me get away and let me get al- be alone with God. And it's different than how you and I would view this. Listen, if, if t- t- today in 2018, if we began to receive a lot of popularity or notice or whatever, that's usually when you try to capitalize on it. Someone would be telling you or me, like, capitalize on that. People love you. This is great, Jesus. You know, do more of the whole breaking of bread thing. Like, we try to, like, teach Jesus how to, like, capitalize on this. But Jesus says, no, let me get away. And let me find a solitary place. And let me be alone with God. And I say that he left us a pattern because that's what the scriptures say. It's actually Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, same story, same context. Luke 5, verse 16. Mark is just really fast. It took Luke a lot longer. Uh, it says, so Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He often did this. He often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And I, I want to ask this question of what is prayer? Like, what is this? And, and what does it look like? Because something that's interesting to me is every continent, every, every nation, every nation, there's people that pray in it. Now, prayer looks different for a lot of people, right? Like in California, prayer might be just like silent meditation while you do yoga. Like that's their prayer. Like prayer looks different for a lot of different people in different groups. So what is, what is prayer? And why is it that every nation, every, every people group within every category of the globe has some sort of thing like prayer where they want to feel connected to someone or something greater than them? And what is that? Why is that the heart of every person? To slow down and pray to something or someone and try to connect with them. And here we're told in the scriptures and what we learn is that we connect to God through the language of prayer. That we pray in Jesus' name. That he's really kind of the conduit to how we connect with God. That we can talk to him in the language of prayer in, in, in this way. And, and this is something that we all long for. And here's, here's what happens in life. When I get busy, because Jesus was busy, right? Was he not busy? Was he not up all night helping people, healing people? When we get busy, what's the first thing that goes? It's prayer. Normally, for me, when I get busy, I, I panic. I freak out. My, I kind of do unravel. I kind of go, oh my gosh, there's so much on my plate. I have so much to do. And the first thing I cut off my, off my plate is the most important thing so often, and that is prayer. And for Jesus, the busier he got, the more he's like, I need to pray. It wasn't so much, I'm so busy, and I am God in the flesh. I mean, come on here, people. Like, Jesus like, no, I need this more. So if we, here's my thought, if we who are broken, if we are sinful people, need, uh, if, if we, if Jesus, who's so powerful, if he prayed, how much more should we who are broken? If Jesus, who has all the power and authority in the world, he, he realized, I need to go and pray, how much more should we pray? You know, this is something where I, I want to encourage us. What's the first thing you do when you wake up, right? First thing you do, what do you do? Do you check your email? Do you check social media? Like, what do you, do you just eat, cough? Like, what is the first, what is your priority when you get up? How do you start your day? How do you start off, like, just your whole morning, your whole week? What is it that you do? It was that Jesus, early in the morning, in a solitary place, wakes up and he prays. And despite the busyness, he found this a priority. You know, again, I want to say this because Martin Luther has such a good quote on this. So often, the busier we get, the, the quicker we are to, to get rid of prayer. Here's what Martin Luther said, though. I love how he, he said this. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And, and that, is, that is not, is that not so true how we should view it? He goes, I have so much to do today. I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, I don't think any of us will spend three hours in prayer, but just this idea of God, I want to spend my time initially right away with you. There's so much to do. I need you. And you, you and I, we can, all, we can all attest to this, that when we actually start off our day in prayer, when we actually seek Jesus in prayer, we see that there's a big change in how our day goes. When we actually sought God and, and, and look, search for his heart and his will and say, God, let me be in your time, not on other people's agendas, not on other people's time, you see that there's, there's a big change in how our day goes. And we learn so much from Jesus that he goes to a solitary place. And I do want to ask, like, do you have that? Where is your solitary place? And parents with kids, where is that? That is hard. Where is your solitary place? <laughs> you know, you like plug your ears like, I can't hear you. And you're like, start praying. I don't, I've done that a few times. But where is your solitary place where you can just be alone? and cry out to Jesus. And there's this pattern here that we see with Jesus. And I want to be really clear about this, by the way. Jesus went to a solitary place. This speaks of solitude, not isolation. See, solitary or solitude, you, you go away for the sake of relationships. We put, I put it this way. Solitude is about retreating for relationship. 
isolation is about retreating from relationship. Now, because some of us, maybe the, the not-so-outgoing people are like, oh, Jesus went away and prayed. This is, all, this is my life verse, right? And so all we do is like we try to get away from people. We never want to be around people. Solitude is about retreating for relationship. So you can get filled so you have something to give back out. And, and the other idea is isolation is about retreating from. You want nothing to do with community, nothing to do with people because you don't want anyone to speak in your life. You know everything. You got it, you got it figured out. Like for some people on my community groups, you're like, yeah, right, good one, right? Like the idea is like, I don't want to be a part of that. That's just not who I am. That's good for certain Christians. I don't need that. When in reality, this is how God designed us and made us. It is for deep relationship. It is for deep community. It's for deep biblical community and accountability. And I want to just make sure it's clear that Jesus had a salt, not that he was isolated, but he went away. He got away to be refreshed. And we need this in the church. The way I view prayer Prayer is a discipline, right? We know that's a discipline. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes pattern, yes. But prayer is a delight. Prayer is a time where I can connect with God and sense the heart of God and sense, sense the call of God. And you go, God, this is where I feel so much delight. And why do I always forsake this? Why does this discipline seem so tough in the moment? When I do it, I walk away so refreshed by it. Prayer, prayer is a delight. Can I say this even too? And I, I want you to view prayer in, in different ways. But prayer is expressing and surrendering. Here's what prayer is. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he's about to be crucified, he said, Father, if there's any other way that you can just take this away, like, Lord, remove this. If there's any other way to do this, let's, let's do it that way. He goes, but not my will, let your will be done. I love that Jesus expresses his true desire, but then he surrenders and says, but at the end of the day, it's your will. I want you guys to know prayer, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I'm overwhelmed by life right now. Like, God, this is really tough. I can't do this. Like, express that. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of telling God, God, this is too much for me. and I, I can't do this. Express your true feelings. Express those things, but then surrender and say, but not what I want, but your will. Not what I'm trying to do, but what do you want to do? I really do believe that prayer needs to be an expression. It needs to be a surrender. And it's weird, guys, because in prayer, sometimes we try to like, act like God doesn't know. God knows, right? God knows everything about this, about us, about the situation. And I love this thought. You know, imagine there's a friend who knows everything about your life everything about your life. They know what you said today, thought today. They know everything. And, and your friend goes up to you and goes, hey, how was your day? And you're like, it was good. And you're like, like, no, it wasn't. Like, I, kn- I know how your day was. I know your deepest thoughts. You're like, yeah, it's was, it was a miserable day. Like, God knows. Like, express it. Don't feel like we have to go to him and try to put on a show for him and talk in old King James and be like, God, are you impressed with my prayer life? Like, we can go to him and express it and be open and bare and honest before him. And at the same time, surrender and say, God, what do you want to do? You know, for us, and I don't want to, like, I want us to think about this. We are a new church community. Like, this is a new gathering of people. It's, we're, like, we're babies. We're, this is young. This is a new, fresh church and work. And this is something that we have to cover in prayer. Like from day one, in July of 2016, when we started praying for this church, it just started in prayer Thursday nights at our house. And it continued, and I don't want to, I don't want to leave that. We had a prayer meeting at our house last month. We, we have some people that pray in this little hallway here at 9 a.m. on Sundays. We really want to just continue to cover this in prayer because we don't know what we're doing. We're saying, God, help. God, let us not do this in our own strength. God, fill us so we can give something. So many of us try to do ministry from a lack. We try to give things we don't have. We try to offer things to people we shouldn't be offering because we don't have it. And so prayers where we get filled with wisdom, with discernment, with direction, with seeking the heart and the will of God. And so we go, okay, now we can give. because we've, we've been filled by prayer and with prayer. And Jesus shows us this pattern. He often withdrew and prayed. And I want to say, how can we, and please let us be a community that develops a pattern of prayer. I would love for you guys this week, this is my, my hope this week, that everyone in this room would slow down and we'd find an opportunity to get away and to pray and to pray specifically and hear the heart of God. Like my desire is that every single one of you will have this alone time with Jesus where ministry is no longer a burden or helping people is not a burden because it can be. It can be when all you're doing is giving. So I really want us to be a community that has a pattern of prayer. Amen? That we get filled, that we get refreshed through prayer so we have something to give. And Jesus shows us the power he had came from private prayer. And I want to see something that's really interesting to me. Because Jesus says something I think that would throw the disciples off and even myself. We see that he's talking about preaching is priority. Preaching is priority. Look at verse 38. Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Jesus says, for this purpose I have come forth. Prayer or preaching was priority. More than even helping people who were filled with demons or sick or in pain, 
Jesus says what's more important than all of this is preaching. Now, that offends some people. Like, for, let me just say this. For the last couple thousand years, people have always been against preaching. They think, who's one person to stand up in front of people and tell them what they should believe? People have been against this for a long time. But when they're against that, they're against the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said, this is why I've come, to preach. Because I have something much better than helping your temporary pain. Jesus cares way more about our, our eternal destination than our temporary relief. Do we get that? That, do you know what preach, preaching does something that nothing else can really do? It unearths things that are in us. So, for example, a lot of you have felt needs. All of us have felt needs. We need more finances. We may need more help in a certain area of life. Like, we all felt needs. No, you know, when you're walking down the street, you're thinking, I want coffee. No one's walking down the street thinking, maybe I'm under the mighty wrath of God. Like, no one has certain, like, deep philosophical thoughts. Here's what preaching does. Preaching unearths certain things that you didn't even know you needed. Here's the thing. Jesus met, met felt needs all the time, but through preaching, it met needs people didn't even know they had. Preaching unearths needs that we didn't know we really had. And I'm sharing this because I think that there are needs in our life that you, you might think, I need money, I need a job, I need a boyfriend, I need whatever. Like we have like different thoughts, I need this, I need that. And what the word of God does and going through the word of God does is there's a greater need than your immediate felt need. That there's a greater need for all of us. And that is to be right with God and in communion with God. Not just to be right, because yes, we're saved by grace through faith, but to be in communion and deep relationship with God. And what preaching does, it, it unearths things that we never knew we really needed. And this is so important because, again, we can miss this. He says, for this reason I have come. Here's what I wrote. This was a priority. A priority is a decision you make before opportunities. All right, listen to that. A priority is a decision you make before opportunities. We, many times, are driven by the opportunities. It's like people come to you and say, do you want to go here today? Yeah, I want to go there. Do you want to do this? Yeah, I want to do this. Can you help me with that? Yeah, I'd love to help you with that. Sometimes we're just driven by opportunities rather than by our priorities or convictions. I'd say many of us need to have priorities again, need to have convictions again. Like saying, no, Jesus said, I've not just come to heal people and help, like, to help them physically. There's a greater reason why I've come. And I want you to understand something. Jesus didn't let other people set his agenda. And it's so easy for, for us to let other people kind of set our agenda. What if, what if the disciples did set his agenda? Jesus probably never would have left Capernaum. He never would have went to the cross. He never would have come and accomplished what God has called him to accomplish. Jesus said, I have this priority and it's to preach. And there's this balance in the church. And I want to share this really quick for us. Because so often in the church, we can either be, it's all about preaching, or we say it's all about meeting needs, like social justice issues, or we say, it's, no, it's all about eternal issues. And I want you to see that Jesus did both. I really want us to be a church that does practically meet people's needs. Like, let me say, from, from the very beginning, we're praying through what this looks like, but we know we're called to the orphan and widow. Uh, we know that we're called to the homeless, those in need. Uh, we know that we're going to be called to those imprisoned because Jesus shared those things. I'm not sure how that will take place. I'm not sure what group or what community of people, in a sense, will own what or how or when. But those are things that we are seeking, actively seeking, how do we get involved with? And how do we pursue and meet needs? But more importantly than even all of that is that we could help people physically. We can give them money. We can give them a space to live in. We can do so many things. But if we don't give them the gospel, they'll still be separated from God for all of eternity. The gospel is priority. Preaching is priority. It is. Again, I've, I've mentioned this. We, we've talked about, about St. Francis of Assisi, who probably didn't say this, but preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's like you can't preach the gospel without using words. The gospel is words. It is. You can't just feed someone and they're like, I know now Jesus. Like, you now explain to me Jesus because you just fed me a sandwich. Like, no, we're going to have to preach them the gospel. You're going to have to share words. But again, but we can't just be about preaching and not meeting needs. And I really just want, I don't want to be a church that we're on this bent or this bent. I think there's two feet and it depends. Like, we're going to take the step with preaching. We're going to take the step with making sure people know their needs, their eternal needs. But we're also going to make sure we also meet their practical, physical needs. Because Jesus did that really well. It is about both. And I, and I hope that we can fight for that. And there will be, that's a fine line. And all of, all of you here in this room will help hold us, me, and, and everyone accountable to this. That we want to preach, we want to make the gospel known, but we also want to meet real needs. Amen? You know, again, preaching reveals needs that you never knew you had. There's a story um, by, uh, it's, not a, it's not a fake story, it's a real story. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Lady Huntington. This is a real story. In the 18th century, um, she got saved. She was an aristocrat, aristocrat. She was very wealthy, a noble woman. She was a part of like this upper echelon of just wealth in England. Super wealthy woman, right? And she was not saved. She was not a Christian. She goes and hears George Whitfield. She gets saved. 
I mean, it's powerful. And you can not, don't read that yet, but it's powerful. She gets saved. She's now this wealthy noble woman going, oh my gosh, Jesus is the answer. And so she starts inviting her noble uh, men and women to her house to, to hear this guy. And she starts inviting them out to these events to hear, to hear George Whitfield preach. And she's just like so excited about the gospel. It's so changed her. She wants to share this with everyone she comes in contact with. And she eventually, as you saw there, she invites this woman, uh, the Duchess of, can we throw it up there because I already forgot, Birmingham, is it Buckingham? How can I forget that? Uh, and the Duchess of Buckingham said, absolutely not. She said, I'm not going. And then this is what she wrote, and this is a real letter she wrote to, to Lady Huntington. She wrote, it is monstrous to be told you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. First of all, you've got to be able to read this in like a British accent and know how to say this in a British accent, which I can't do really either. But I want you to imagine this. Because here's this wealthy woman saying, how dare you associate, this, this gospel message is for the lower class. This gospel message is not for us. We're fine. We have everything we need. And you see, what preaching does, it exposes needs you never knew you had. It says, no, even though you might be rich, you're poor. You might think you're physically rich, but you're spiritually poor and you're separated from God. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to call the righteous and the unrighteous to repentance. And saying, whether you try to seek it through, maybe you try to do it your own way, or maybe you think because you keep the law, you're good. All of you, everyone just needs Jesus. Everyone needs someone who's kept the law for us on our behalf. And so Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to share this message. And this is so important for us that we don't, get, we don't miss this point. At the end of the day, people need Jesus. Now, here's the last thought. Uh, we see that the, the power is proclaimed, it's made known. And this is one of my favorite stories just in the gospel, so we're going to take some time. Verse 40, it says, Now a leper came to Jesus, and he was begging him, kneeling down to him and saying to Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he was strictly warned, strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself a cleansing, those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, this man, he went out and, and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. This is so important. This story is so important. I want you to hear this. This story is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not, there's not a lot, but there's a decent amount of stories that are mentioned in all three. But all three guys took notice of this leper. All three guys thought, this is crazy. Jesus just healed a leper. Now, let me even explain something. There's a different mindset when it came to leprosy. Uh, it's a verse. I'll throw up the verse. It's Matthew 10, 8. Jesus told the disciples that they would heal people, right? He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Why is that its own category? Like, that's its own category because healing a leper was like raising someone from the dead. It wasn't just like, oh, this person's sick with a fever. Like, no, a leper being cleansed of leprosy was almost as if a dead person came back to life. Actually, as Josephus, a, a, not a believer, historian, uh, wrote this about lepers, he said, lepers were treated as if they were living dead men, corpses. Lepers were treated as the walking dead. And I really do want us to, like, you know, some of you like that shit. I, I really do want you to kind of imagine this and think through this. There's actually, there's three groups of people. There's the crowd, there's the leper, and there's Jesus. And let's talk about the crowd, the leper, and Jesus. How do you think the crowd would have viewed this man? How do you think the crowd would have received this man? And, and I want you to understand even this idea of leprosy. What is, what is leprosy? For us, it's kind of like some weird, like, doesn't that just mean like boils over your body? What is leprosy? Uh, here's the definition. It's a contagious disease that affects the skin, mucous membranes, and nerves, causing discoloration and lumps in the skin, and in severe cases, disfig disfigurement and deformities. All right, so leprosy would actually attack the nerves, the nerves. And so often your fingers or your toes would be reabsorbed into your bodies. You know, people may be doing dishes, or tying their shoe, or whatever it might be, anything to do with their fingers, it could rub it off. Like, their body was trying to absorb itself back into it. Um, I was going to try to show some pictures, but I almost just, I don't think it would be appropriate. Um, <laughs> you can look at this up. People who have extreme leprosy, and in Luke chapter 5, it says this man was full of leprosy. And I want you to hear that. He's an advanced case. Didn't just start. Leprosy does take a while. It takes a while for it to grow and to make itself known. It just it takes a while. So he was full of leprosy. And I want you to think about the different effects that would have on this person. So this one's obvious. First of all, there's a physical effect. 
And with this physical effect, again, leprosy would start with kind of like a white, patchy, pinkish skin, either maybe on the earlobe or the tip of the nose, the cheek, the forehead. It'd start kind of actually even internally, but you see it begin to spread and grow into maybe it became lumps of some sort. Or again, sometimes they would go, most of the time, advanced cases, people would go blind from leprosy, couldn't speak because the leprosy was affecting their vocal cords, and so they couldn't speak. I mean, you think about it, if you saw someone with leprosy, it'd be really clear. Actually, the Bible in Leviticus 12 and 13 talks about leprosy pretty in depth. That they're actually supposed to have dirty, uncupped hair, torn clothes, so people could identify, oh, that's a leper, stay away. There are certain laws that you could be out of 150 feet away from a leper. That if you were to walk under a tree, a tree that covered a leper, that you were actually unclean that day and you had to go to the priest and become clean. I mean, there was actually a lot of bodily things, uh, physical problems with this. I didn't know that they would lose their, their feelings and their fingers and their toes, so maybe eventually they could burn themselves and they'd get an infection. And that's why you'd see even more like limbs kind of begin to get, spread through and they'd maybe cut off the arm or, or the hands or whatever because they're infected by, this, by what it came through, not being able to touch things or feel things appropriately. I mean, it really just affected the whole person. Again, you become blind, couldn't speak, teeth would fall out. I mean, you honestly looked like you were a dead person just walking around. That's what it looked like. I mean, it's horrific. And I want you to think about the, the social and emotional effects. Because here's the side. Imagine you're someone full of leprosy and a child sees you. And you're walking through the streets and the kid goes screaming and running from you. I want you to think about the social and emotional effects. You know, when you were diagnosed with leprosy, you could no longer be in community with people. You were sent out of community. You were sent out of the town. That if you were someone that got leprosy, you could never hug your wife or hold your child again. I mean, could you just imagine someone who's diagnosed with leprosy, they're sent out of town, and they just stay on a hilltop far from their family and just watch their wife, watch their kids play, and know they can never touch them or see them again? Could you imagine the emotional effect? You know, we know that a child can even die if there's just not a physical touch. Like if there's a baby and you don't touch a baby for a certain period of time, the baby can literally die. Like God made us for touch. And this guy or a woman or whoever got leprosy could never experience touch again. No hugs, nothing. So lepers would begin to kind of gather up. Maybe remember the story of the 10 lepers when Jesus healed them and some, you know, they would actually gather together and hang out. I mean, this must have been some of the most emotional thing. You were literally a walking dead person, never could be in fellowship or community with people again. You'd lose your family, your job, your loved ones. You had no money now. You're poor, you're homeless. I mean, leprosy was, again, it was worse than death in many people's eyes. Like a, a, a Jewish rabbi wouldn't even, if there, a leper stuck his head in, the, the, in a house, he would never enter that house again. I mean, there's so many weird laws and rules around this. There's so many physical things around this. Uh, actually, I think one person said it this way. Uh, listen to this. Leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are like claws. There follows ulceration of the hands and feet. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until, in the end, a whole hand or whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It is kind of a terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. I mean, you are literally cut off from everyone. And here's this guy and he sees Jesus. And this guy, lepers, had to cover their mouth and yell unclean, unclean, twice and loudly so people could hear them and so they could remove, move themselves away from him. We're not told that he does this. I mean, by this man coming to Jesus was a scandalous thing. He literally could have been stoned to death on the spot. I mean, he's coming to Jesus, and I wonder if it's just quickly. Remember, he's begging, imploring on his knees. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response would determine this guy's life or death. Because everyone had a right at that point in time to kill that guy. And I want you to see the emotional effects. They're spiritual effects. I want you to think about, when, if you were a leper, it's considered God cursed you himself. If someone was a leper, it's like, wow, God must really hate you. They're dealing with that emotional effect, that social effect. They're actually never, obviously, allowed to go back into temple again. They can never be part of anything spiritual again. And you think about how that plays in this guy's life. And it's interesting, because this is what we do got to see. When you read Leviticus 12 and 13, and when you see the, the correlations in the Bible, the Bible's saying leprosy and lepers. It's, it's a parallel. It's a picture. It, it really speaks of our sin. That leprosy speak, be, speaks of our sin with us and God. And I, I, put, I point out just a few similarities. I'll throw them up here for you. And I want you to see the spiritual effects. I want you to see uh, the similarities between leprosy and sin. Here's the first thing. Leprosy would always begin underneath the surface. Leprosy was never just physically there. You wouldn't just see it. It, it was like an immune disorder. So it would begin under the surface. So to a sin, you don't really always see it manifested. 
It begins under the surface. It begins with maybe bitterness, hatred, lust. We don't always see sin manifested. It will eventually make itself known like leprosy. It will eventually manifest itself, but it always began under the surface where no one could even see. They would, be, they would have leprosy months, if not years, before they even knew they had leprosy. And we need to see that sin is in the heart of every man, that out of the heart proceed murders and adulteries and wicked thoughts and lusts. Like out of the heart, it starts within. Number two is this, leprosy brings numbness. Again, they, they lost feeling and touch. They couldn't even feel again. It would bring numbness. Ephesians 4 talks about how there are people who are walking dead in their sins, that though they are alive, they're numb to sin. That it says, the Bible says it this way, their, their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. We've been there. Have you, have you ever sinned so much that you realize after a while, have you ever thought to yourself, I don't even feel bad for this anymore? I've talked to people who sin so often and they go, I don't even feel anything anymore. I just feel dead. I'm alive, but I feel dead. I've been there. I believe before Christ rescued me, redeemed me, I've been there. I sinned so much. And you go, I don't even feel it anymore. This is not even a problem anymore. I don't even see the issue because we were numb to sin. Because sin numbed our conscience. It was seared with a hot iron. Just like lepers couldn't feel or sense anything anymore. This guy probably had no fingers, no toes. Full of leprosy. He was so advanced, he might have been blind. He, might have, he could, probably couldn't have yelled unclean. He probably didn't have the vocal cord power to say unclean, unclean. He was full. It was fully advanced. Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, remember Luke's the doctor, says he was full of it. It was super advanced. This guy just comes to him, and I wonder if his voice sounded like, just if you're willing, you can make me clean. And that word clean is actually the ceremonial word. I don't know if you know this, but it's a ceremonial word saying, you can make me like clean with God. It's like, you can make me right again. I can now enter the temple again. He didn't say you can make me well, and this is really, it really is a clear difference. He's saying you can make me clean. Like you can make me right with God again. You can make me back in community again. We said leprosy brings numbness. Number three, leprosy was incurable. In this day, at this time, leprosy was incurable. Now, leprosy is curable today. I think it's called like multi-drug treatment, and you can do a variation of drugs, and, and I think 95% of the world right now is immune to leprosy. And so I, we, my wife and I have went to the Bahamas and been to leper colonies, and we've hugged people. You can be around it. You might not, you might not get it, in, especially with today and our diet and our antibiotics. Even if you do get it, you can, you can be healed from it. But back then, this was incurable. Back, back then, this was, this was like the disease no one ever— you would never, It'd be like if someone walked into our room and they had Ebola. Right? Remember the Ebola scare? Remember how, like, how people are just, dry, just left and right, a new death every day when you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Imagine someone walks in this room, probably all of you are going to leave. I mean, that's what leprosy was to them. He walks in this room, everyone's out of there. And so leprosy was incurable. Leprosy caused separation between you, between them and their loved ones. So often sin causes separation between us and our loved ones. As, as sin was incurable, as leprosy is incurable, as sin also causes some major issues that you go, I don't know if I can even talk to them again. Look what they did. Look how they hurt me. This actually put, a, again, a wall between them and their community. And lastly, leprosy would eventually kill you. As leprosy, again, was a death sentence and eventually led to your death. And as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Eventually, sin will lead to all of our deaths. Everyone dies. Ten out of ten people die because sin has plagued this world and sin will always lead to physical death. And then the Bible says even eternal death if you don't know Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That, we, that there is a cure for this. But I want you to see this, that this is the Bible says that we are all lepers. This is not just some, some sort of person. It's actually Isaiah who says this. Isaiah chapter 1, read this verse. It's powerful. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. I'm going to throw it here. He says this. <laughs> Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a broad of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. And this is the leprosy description. For the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. He, Isaiah said, all of you are sick with leprosy. All of you have this disease. All of you are plagued with sin. This plagues all of us. And here's this leper going to Jesus, and people would have been scandalized by this. It's like, you have no right to go to Jesus. You didn't yell unclean. You didn't give us warning. He just came begging, kneeling, imploring, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And at that moment, Jesus really had the power of life or death over this guy. And the first words, he immediately showed compassion. And he says, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left. And here's what I love about the story. It was absolutely scandalous for this guy to go to Jesus, but it was more scandalous for Jesus to touch this guy. I want you to think about this. This guy hasn't been touched in probably years, 10, 20 years, full of leprosy. I mean, imagine the last time he was touched by another human. 
And Jesus, Jesus, did he need to touch him? Like, let's be honest. Did Jesus need to touch him? How many, did Jesus need to touch? Jesus could speak a word. He could have winged. He could have thought it. The guy could have made better. But Jesus actually shows everyone he touches this guy. The untouchable is touched. And Jesus says, you can be clean. I am willing. I am willing. And I love that the guy shows, like he throws himself in the mercy of Jesus, says, Jesus, show mercy on me if you are willing. I noticed he didn't come to Jesus with conditions. Like Jesus, well, I'll be willing if you make me clean. He didn't come to Jesus with conditions. He simply just came to Jesus and said, I'm at the mercy of your feet. And I want us to come to Jesus more like that. Sometimes we come to Jesus. People are interested in Jesus. Well, I'm interested in this person of Jesus. Tell me more about him. Well, I'll believe in him if he agrees with this political view. I'll agree with Jesus if he says this. And you're coming to Jesus with conditions rather than simply coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, whatever you say goes. If you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And this is how he goes to Jesus and he falls before him and Jesus says, I am willing to be cleansed. And I'm so thankful for the compassion and grace of Jesus that he touches this man publicly. That Jesus at that very moment would have been unclean. Everyone would have seen Jesus touch this man and Jesus now should have been unclean for a period of time and have to go to temple himself. But Jesus is the only clean person who can make unclean people clean. Everyone else would have become unclean at that point in time if they touched the leper, but not Jesus. Everyone else would have been, again, going, you now are, you need to be kicked out of society because you touched the leper. Except Jesus. Jesus cleans him. Jesus touches him and cleans him now that he has right relationship with God. And the point is this. No one is too far from God. No one is too out there. No one has done too many disgusting, terrible things. I don't care what you've done, how far you've gone into different areas. Some things you try to just black out from because you don't want to remember them. You don't want to bring them up again. Jesus is willing to make you clean. Nothing's too far from God. Nothing's too out there for God that Jesus is willing to go the distance and he touched him. Yes, the, yes, the leper came to Jesus, but first Jesus left heaven and came to him. And we need to see that about God. That this man came to Jesus, but Jesus said, I really came to earth. I came for you. And I'm willing to be cleansed. And I know that all of us, there's not one person that doesn't need to hear this. All of us need to be cleansed. You and I, I am that leper. I am Isaiah 1. I am that person whose heart is far from God. I am that person who, who, who's gone my own way, and God has said, I'm willing to clean you. You can be cleansed. And guys, I'm so thankful for the grace of Jesus, what we sung earlier, that the love has sought me, the blood has bought me, that Jesus pursued us. Amen? The fact that Jesus touched him is the most amazing thing to me. That's why I love this story. Jesus, at that very moment, would have been made unclean, but in reality, that guy was made clean. And I love what Jesus does. I don't know if you catch it, but Jesus is like, go to the temple. Go to the temple. Because why? There was a law in Leviticus that if someone with leprosy got cured, they should go to the temple and present themselves to the priest. And they could say, okay, you really are clean. You can be back in society. And you can be back in the temple again. And Jesus says, do this. Do, do, it, do it the right way. Do it the way that it's described. I want you to do this. And the man doesn't. He, ha- he has like this, right? The man actually like goes and tells everyone freely what Jesus has done. And if there's one thing, like I, this isn't good of the guy, like he disobeyed Jesus, but imagine this is like your sin. Like you go to small groups, like, well, what is your sin? Like I told people about Jesus. I know I shouldn't have. Like Jesus told me not to. Like this is really not that bad. I'm like, okay, we'll give this guy a break. But at the same time, Jesus is like, go to temple. Make it known that way. And I want you to see, the guy doesn't do that. So what happens next? Look at verse 45, the very end. Because he doesn't do this, there's a consequence. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. And this is what I love about the gospel and this is what moves me so much is that this guy was an outcast. This guy was in the deserted places and Jesus was in the city. But because Jesus touched the leper, he's now the outcast. He's now in the deserted places and this guy's brought in. And is that not the gospel? that I was on the outside, that I was the outcast, and Jesus came near. Jesus touched me. Jesus healed me. He took my sin, my filth. He was crucified on a cross outside of the city in the garbage dump area. Jesus was outside of community because of my sin, and that's the idea of the gospel, that Jesus came and switched places with me, that Jesus took my sin and my filth and said, I will go outside so you can be brought in, and that is the cross, and that is Golgotha, that he was brought outside, crucified with murderers and thieves so that you and I could be brought in, and because of this, if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That, that it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That this man was filled with sin, filled with leprosy, but Jesus touched him and he's brought in. And now Jesus is outside of the city. Just speaking of how he will one day be outside on that cross, murdered, crucified, separated from community for you and I, so we can be brought into God. I'm so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful that he brings people who are on the outside in. That it wasn't us. It's just us going, it's us going to the place realizing how desperate we are. Jesus, if you're willing. I'm that leprous walking man corpse, dead in my sin. And Jesus said, I'm willing to be cleansed. Know that Jesus is willing to heal you and heal me of my sin. And still for Christians to us, for us. 
it's not just for people who aren't saved yet. He's still willing to cleanse us. He's still willing to say, I know that today you're going to sin, and I want you to be brought back in. I want you to be clean. I want you to be back in right communion with God. All of us need this. All of us are this leper. All of us need to hear this story. Amen? Listen, I don't know where all of you are at with God. And if any of you feel like you are on the outside, if any of you feel like I've done too much, God can never forgive me. God can never love me. Know that the cross shows otherwise. Know that if you believe in Jesus, you will never perish but have everlasting life. And I'm just going to ask a simple thing. If that is for anyone in this room, we're just going to have some people available for prayer. And I'm going to say for Christians, this is for you as well. For us to just constantly be reminded that he took my filth and my sin and my shame so I could be brought near. We want this to produce a heart of just joy and celebration and thankfulness. And someone say, just if you need prayer for any reason, Christian, non-Christian, and you say, you know what, I feel like I've been on the outside. I feel like I've been far from God. I just feel like this, I just feel dirty. We're going to have some, some men and women up here who just are available for prayer and would love to pray with you. And would love to just, just be there with you and listen. And just willing to touch and heal that way. Because we all need that. Amen? Because I'm going to pray and we're just going to worship. We're going to have some announcements and then we'll have some people up here for prayer. And I'm going to ask that you would just come if that's you, just for prayer. We all need that. And don't feel too shamed by that realize that you and I are that leprous man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, my sin is just so, so filthy before you. God, we look way worse than that leprous man with no limbs, no fingers, no vision. We look way worse. And thank you for making us clean. Thank you for touching us, God for being willing. Jesus, there's nothing more than we can say than thank you. We don't want to be like the lepers who were healed and forgot to come back to you and thank you. We don't want to be that, God. We want to be that, like that one leper who comes back to you and says, thank you for making me clean. God, I just ask that you would just be in this room, that the gospel would just penetrate our hearts and our lives, that the message of the exchange would constantly refresh us, that God, you became our substitute. So Lord, as we just sing to you now, we are just proclaiming the fact that we are that leper that's been healed. We are, that le- we are that leper that's been saved and redeemed and washed and made new and can be brought into community. So we thank you, God. We just want to celebrate you now. There is no one like you, Jesus. In your wonderful name, amen. Let's stand.